And we're back. Uh, back from what? Not sure. Um, yeah, it's been a month, I think, approximately a month, a little over a month. Um, I had surgery about 31 days ago. Um, I think on the last episode, I was telling you guys about um, some health problems I had been having and just like how one of the things that they figured out was wrong with me was related to my gallbladder and blah, 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 blah. Um, I have my gallbladder removed. I know people are, are like my haters are going to be listening to this and be like, oh, she had to get her gallbladder removed because she's like a big fat fatty. And that's actually um, not true. Um, <laughs> leading up to me getting my gallbladder removed, I was losing weight because I could barely eat anything. And since the surgery, I am still losing weight because I can still barely eat anything. So, um, that's where I'm at with that. Uh, also gallbladder problems are not caused by being fat. They actually think that they're common in women because it's related to, uh, hormonal birth control, which is bad for you obviously. So, um, that's the deal with that. Um, yeah, so I'm here, I'm back, I'm ready to, uh, give you the business, I guess. That sounded so horrible. Um, I need to get up for one second and turn on a light. I, this is me moving through my studio apartment, uh, live on the pod. Okay, I'm back at my desk. Um, yeah, so, you know, the last couple of days I've been having this, like, existential crisis, kind of. Um, I, <laughs> one of my complexes that, you know, I've discussed in therapy endlessly for the past two decades is that I always feel too old to do anything. <laughs> Which sounds like, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. Like I've always been, like I've always felt like I'm too old to do anything. It's too late to do anything, that my life is over, that I'm a failure, that I'll never accomplish anything or that I haven't accomplished anything. And I like these thoughts go through my head, like basically uh, multiple times per day. Very pleasant stuff. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, that's one of the the things I've been thinking about the last uh, few days. I I don't know. I just feel like I've really been struggling since the pandemic. I feel like the pandemic just kind of like ruined my life and completely changed the things I care about and the things I want to do. And I basically care about little to nothing now. Um, I don't feel the urge to do stand-up comedy really. I mean, I still do it. I haven't done it since I had surgery, but I still do stand up and I feel like I'm like doing it in vain because I'm not successful at it. And pretty much all of my peers have surpassed me. Well, the ones who have continued to do stand up and I feel pathetic compared to them. Um, how are we already like getting this three and a half minutes into the podcast? I'm like, I feel pathetic compared to my peers. Yeah. Is anybody recording a podcast this deep and serious? Probably not. Okay. You know, this is the real shit. Nobody listens to the. Well, I mean, enough people listen to this where I know people will listen to it. And that's the only thing that matters. Um, so yeah. But anyway, um, I feel like I'm just like so far behind in life, uh, that I have no means of possibly catching up. Um, that the last like 
two and a half years of my life have just been absolutely like terrible. You know, I think, I mean, well, two years, a little over two years ago is, uh, when my mother had a stroke and that basically like upended my entire life. And I had to, you know, deal with that for a while, um, and deal with the like abuse from my family, like telling me that, like, I don't know what it is, but like my family has always treated me like I'm some sort of alien. Like they don't understand me. They don't relate to me. They think I'm selfish. They think I'm narcissistic. And what it really is, is that I refuse to be a part of their stupidity and their uh, toxic behavior. So that's what that is. Um, Oh my God. So yeah, my mom dying kind of like threw a wrench in my plans um, for a lot of reasons. You know, I wanted to take the LSAT. I did take the LSAT basically like 10 days after she had a stroke, which, you know, I was taking the LSAT under duress, (laughs) which is like the worst thing you can do. And I didn't get the score I would have liked to get. And I didn't get into law school, of course. Um, So that's been another setback. Um, I have felt strange and sick basically every day, every day since October 31st, 2022. And if you're listening to this and you've never listened to this before and you think I sound insane, I don't care Um, (laughs) because this is where I talk about myself. Okay. This is where I talk about real things that are happening to me. Um, A number of doctors like have just been like, we don't know what's wrong with you. We don't know what's wrong with you. And it's just been like so much guessing and, you know, tests and seeing all different types of specialists and getting my gallbladder removed was the answer to like one part of it. But then the other part of it is like something totally different. So I have like multiple things going on, which is frustrating to say the least and feeling sick and having to basically lay in bed a lot of the time is what has prevented me from doing stand-up or like doing anything in my creative career to push ahead. And it's frustrating because, you know, I've always been somebody who has appreciated my health and being healthy. And all of a sudden, boom, you're not healthy. Um, yeah, it make, it makes me think a lot because I still like now I feel a lot better than I was feeling, but it makes me think a lot about people who are chronically ill and suffer from these like horrible chronic illnesses. And I wonder how they function because there were days where all I could do was just like lay in bed because I was having vertigo or dizziness and feeling nauseous and throwing up. So hopefully that's behind me. And here I am. I know we started out on a really cheerful note and we're going to continue on the cheerful notes. Um, the submersible. Yeah. Um, I'm bringing it up. Uh, so everybody knows what happened. You know, the ocean gate submersible that, um, imploded in the ocean. And can I just say that I knew it imploded before they even like said that it was so obvious. That's what happened. So, um, Yeah, this week there was new information that came out. This uh, professor, what's his name? Um, 
Jose Luis Martin, a Spanish engineer and underwater expert, wrote in a new report that the five people aboard the doomed Ocean Gate submersible were probably aware of the impending implosion 48 to 71 seconds before it occurred. Okay, so this is like a theory that goes opposite what other people were saying, like, oh, they pro- they didn't know what happened. They didn't know what happened yet. They fucking knew what happened. They knew what was coming. Um, and I kind of got like almost soft canceled on Twitter because I tweeted something was like, you know, I don't really care if somebody's a billionaire. I'm not going to like wish death on someone. And people were like, you're a corporate bootlicker. And I was just like, all right, um, fine, whatever. I mean, I think it's bad juju to wish death on people and I'm not going to do it. Also, all of the people on Twitter who are always saying things like death to billionaires and all this stuff, they never go out and just murder billionaires. Like, why don't they just do that? Um, I think it's because they're actually afraid of going to prison or dying. And I feel that if you're a true revolutionary, you should not be afraid of going to prison and or dying. Um, how can you change the world if you're afraid of going to prison or dying? Makes no sense to me. So if you're not afraid of those things, go out there and do whatever it is you're tweeting. Because I think a lot of people on there are, you know, they act tough, but then they don't like back it up with their actions. So whatever. Um, so initially when this happened, you know, there were all kinds of like jokes online and, you know, people were saying like, yeah, I hope they suffered horribly. And, you know, it's great that all these billionaires are dead and blah, blah, blah. I was always interested in the science of this, like before we even like knew all the details about these people who were on there, just because like, Okay, I am like a Titanic head. I love learning anything about the Titanic. Um, I did see James Cameron's Titanic in 3D twice this year, uh, once at the IPIC in Westwood, um, which is located um, adjacent to the Hammer Family Cemetery in Westwood. Hammer Family, yes, Army Hammer's family. They are entombed behind the IPIC theater. Just a fun fact. Um, I also had like some sort of, um, I think it was like a roast, was it like a roast beef sandwich? It was like a roast beef sandwich with some sort of melty cheese. It was really delicious. They have pretty good food at IPIC. But, you know, I don't want to alienate my listeners, letting them know that I have the type of lifestyle where I can just go to the IPIC and eat a roast beef sandwich because you know, I'm supposed to be a woman of the people. You know, I am relatable. I do drive on the Civic. So I want my fans to know that, that I am, I am humble enough to drive a Honda Civic. I will be driving it until it can't drive anymore. So the submersible, um, yeah, day one, when they said this thing was missing, I was like, Oh, they're all dead already. <laughs> like, I already thought that because that's the only thing that makes sense. Like, you're going deep into the ocean and the ocean, honestly, is like the scariest thing. There's like so many things in the ocean that can kill you. I'm not even talking just about creatures. You know, there's um 
tons of water pressure down there. I think the water pressure where they are, there's like a video that illustrates exactly what happened. It said there's 5,600 pounds per square inch of pressure near where the Titanic is. That's a lot. And I think in another um, example, it's like 4,000 atmospheres. And apparently that's like the equivalent of 32 elephants like sitting on you at one time. Um, so it's a lot of pressure. Also, they're in this flimsy little like science project that that Stockton Rush guy made and was like, yeah, we're going, we're going to see the Titanic in this flimsy little thing. (laughs) And he was like getting sued. Like, I mean, this is all revealed after the fact, but he, he was like getting sued. And there was an engineer who had worked at Ocean Gate who said, oh, I think the integrity of the submersible is 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 bad and there's a flaw in the in the construction of it and i can't sign off on it and i guess stockton rush was like oh don't say that and he like fired the guy or the guy like quit or something it just seems like there was like a lot of problems going on with it so anywho um yeah once the uh the madness of the reporting on, on these issues um resolved uh, and there was more, you know, science applied to it. it. Apparently, there was enough time for the for these guys to know that they were about to die. And apparently, they would have 48 to 71 seconds to basically know that they were about to perish. That sounds horrible. <laughs> like, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um not interested in that personally. Um, I have a healthy fear though of like doing anything dangerous. Like I'm afraid to go on escalators, but I'm afraid to go on escalators for good reason because, you know, I worked in personal injury law and I know that escalators are less safe than elevators. It's just true. Um, There's way more escalator accidents than elevator accidents. You don't really hear, hear about elevator accidents, you know, except when you're in an elevator and, you know, it, it, it might sputter or stop for a few seconds and people are always like, oh, my God, you know, they think like something really bad is going to happen. But like the thing about elevators is that they have these like cables that are also hydraulic. So they're designed to not just like plummet to the ground, you know, like they would in a movie. But an escalator, I mean, you can get degloved. Do not Google that. I beg of you, don't Google that. Don't look up the things that I've, you know, learned about to make money in my legal career. Don't Google it. You'll regret it. So um, I have a fear of like a healthy fear of doing anything dangerous at all. So I am sometimes afraid of escalators. I would never go hiking. Like I would hike on like a Stairmaster you know, indoors, but hiking, I have this coworker who's always like, do you want to come hiking with us this weekend? Him and like some of the other, uh, other people in his department, they go hiking like almost every weekend. Um, not really in the summertime, I guess it's more of like a springtime thing, but he's always like talking about these mountains that they hike up. And I'm like, how many hours does this take? And he's like, oh, it's the whole day. I'm like, the whole day? I don't want to be up there the whole day. I have things to do. 
you know. I'm I'm just more of an indoor gal, you know, to quote Jack Dawson in James Cameron's Titanic uh, callback, obviously. Um, <laughs> I am an indoor gal and being an indoor gal has kept me safe and alive. Um, I have a fear of climbing Mount Everest. That's another thing I would never do. Why would any, why does anybody need to do that? Absolutely not. You don't need to do that. I think it's fine to just like look at the mountain, you know, and that's another rich person activity that people do. And a lot of people die doing it. And I think 2023 was something like the second deadliest climb season of all time. I'm going to make sure because like, I think the number one uh, deadliest season on Mount Everest. Hold on. Let me see. Deadliest Mount Everest season. I think it was like 20. Okay. 2014. Um, okay. It is not yet confirmed whether the three climbers who are currently missing have passed away. And that's from June. So I mean, they passed away. Definitely. Um, however, in the unfortunate event that they have this year, 17 fatalities among Sherpas and climbers will mark the deadliest year in history. Previously, that record was held by the 2014 season with 16 tragic fatalities. And then I think, was it 20... Oh, wait, hold on. Let me see. Oh, in 2015, there was um, an earthquake. And that killed 18 people. Was there an earthquake when people were like on the mountain? Hold on. Because the Mount Everest season that I think lives on in infamy is the 1996 Mount Everest disaster um, which is the basis of John Krakauer's autobiographical, uh, book into thin air, um, depicting the incident. Um, yeah, I was always fascinated by that. I'm always fascinated by, you know, people who want to climb Mount Everest and just like the effort involved. It costs like, I think it costs like at least a hundred grand to even consider doing it. And I know that um, a girl I went to high school with, her dad went to do it. And I was like surprised. I was like, oh, they had, they have money like that. Um, which I guess makes sense because she seemed frugal. So that's probably how they have money is they didn't, they were saving it to, for her father to climb Mount Everest 20 years later. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I have a healthy fear of all these things. Wouldn't do it. Couldn't get me to do it. I was also like telling my sister last night about this documentary called The Alpinist. I'm not sure if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I watched it on a flight. Um, it's on Netflix and it's about, um, this kid. His, his name is Mark Andre Leclerc and he was an alpinist, which is basically someone who climbs those like, alpine mountains like the ones that are like ice and snow and he was like a free soloer and sometimes he would just like climb these like these walls of like ice and snow on the sides of mountains with just picks and no ropes can you imagine that i mean i the the documentary gave me anxiety when i was watching it but you all should watch it um it was really great so yeah, I just, I just can't do these things. I won't even go on a roller coaster these days, you know, but that's like a whole other thing. When I was 12, I think I saw a 2020 special that was like about, 
amusement park accidents and fatalities. And I was just like, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going on any of these things again. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like kind of a bummer of a child already because I'm just like so concerned with like safety and things like that. (laughs) Things of that nature, indoor activities. I like going to the movies a lot. That's what I do. Obviously, I talk about that all the time. But um, as far as like getting into this like tiny little space where you can't even stretch out your legs just to go down to see the wreck of the Titanic through a tiny little hole for $250,000, not appealing to me. Um, You know, maybe they could like a different activity. Maybe you could just like... I don't know. Don't do it at all. Don't do it at all. I think James Cameron, though, has gone down to see the Titanic like 33 different times. 33 times. 33 times he's gone underwater to see the Titanic and and made it made it back up. And obviously he has like the money and resources and time to like figure out how to properly go down there, you know, with the proper science and the proper experts and the correct equipment you know, I, you just, you're basically going down there. This ocean gate submersible was basically like an aluminum can, you know, anyway. So I think being aware of your impending doom sounds horrible. And I didn't see anybody on Twitter, like gleefully and ghoulishly being like, I'm glad they were aware for 71 seconds that they were about to implode. (laughs) I didn't see any tweets like that. But I'm sure they're there. I'll search for them later. Um, a man on Twitter did call me. Um, he he said I was old, unattractive, and obese today. Yeah. Um, very creative. Very unique. Never been called fat on the internet before. That I was like, wow. This person is so creative. Um they deserve prizes. They should be staffed. They should have their own TV show. They're a philosopher. Um, and then I like, quote tweeted him and then he blocked me. And then he changed his handle. So. Cowardly. That's that's the type of person who should have been on the submersible. What if we just make a submersible for people who say rude things on the internet and we send them down and they have to apologize or else they poke a hole in the submersible and the water pressure kills them? Do you think that's fair? <laughs> Those are the people who should be in the in the submersibles, not billionaires that should be internet trolls. I think that's fair, actually. Yeah. Why is it never like the people who call you fat and ugly on the internet? They never show their own face, which is so like, it's so stereotypical, but it's still so annoying. It's like, what do you look like? Please tell me. And you know these people are just miserable. They have nothing to do. They don't even have like somebody to go see the new Mission Impossible with. No activities. Nothing going on. So, yeah. 
I pity them. I feel bad for them. I hope they're employed. At least. Actually, I don't know if I, I hope they're employed because who wants that type of person in their workplace? Because like sometimes when I'm at work, I think like, wow, like some of the guys who work here could be like guys who go on these like Manosphere websites or subreddits. And they're like, yeah, all women, all women are holes. They're only, they're toilets. <laughs> Have you ever seen like one of these like incel sites or, you know, men going their own way or whatever? They're always like, women are toilets. That's how they think of us. You know, that's how they see us. They see us as toilets. So I'm not going to lose sleep if one of those guys imploded. I encourage it. I hope they do implode. Um. So in conclusion, <laughs> Oh, yeah. What does the rest of this article say? It says, um, this is what the, uh, the Spanish professor said. Hmm. This is him describing the end of the, um, the submersible. He said he believes the deadly malfunction occurred at a depth of about 5,500 feet. At this point, Quote, at this point, the submersible begins to fall headlong towards the seafloor, and with control and safety functions damaged, it can no longer be maneuvered, Martin theorized in his report. The pilot, OceanGate CEO Stockton Rush, couldn't activate the emergency lever to drop weights and return to the surface, the expert said, adding that the lever was an inadequate device for such an emergency. The Titan changes position and falls like an arrow vertically because the 400 kilos, 880 pounds of passengers that were at the porthole unbalanced the submersible, he wrote. Everyone rushes and crowds on top of each other. Imagine the horror, the fear, the agony. It had to be like a horror movie, added the expert, who believes that everything happened during 48 to 71 seconds of freefall. During that time, the group was aware of the seriousness of the situation, he said. In that period of time, they are realizing everything, and what's more, in complete darkness. It's difficult to get an idea of what they experienced in those moments, Martin wrote. As it fell to the depths of the ocean, the hull would have been subjected to a sudden increase in underwater pressure, leading to, quote, a powerful compression of the sub's carbon fiber hull at a depth of around 9,000 feet, he continued. The rapid contraction of the hull would have been out of step with what was happening to the acrylic material of the viewport, leading to microfissure and implosion, Martine says. After those 48 seconds to one minute, the implosion and instantaneous sudden death occurs, the expert added. Wow. Um, That was heavy. Um, (laughs) So I hope you guys are doing well. Um, That was an interesting read, wasn't it? Um, what have I, what have I done lately? Oh yeah. So the other night I saw the new Mission Impossible, highly recommend. I know we're not supposed to say that we like Tom Cruise or that we see his movies because he's like low key, like soft canceled because he's like a member of the church of you know what. But, um, I like his work. I think he's a good actor. I think that, um, he should go back to doing more like drama and stuff. He's only like done. I was talking about this with someone today that he basically like stopped doing weird and interesting movies and has almost exclusively just been doing action movies for the last like 20 years. I think like 
Because remember he had that like interesting run of like weird movies that he did like in the early 2000s. Like he was in uh, Vanilla Sky, um, Magnolia. What else? Um, all, like in the 80s and 90s, he had a bunch of interesting movies too. Like he was in uh, Born on the Fourth of July, uh, Risky Business, Rain Man. Oh my god, the firm. How could I how could I forget the firm? One of my favorites. Interview with the vampire. Un unbelievable role for him. Unbelievable. Um let me see. Yeah, what would I say is the last like kind of weird movie he was in? Oh my god, Minority Report was so good. It was so good. Let me see. Let me see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow was so underrated. If you haven't seen that, please watch it. Really good. Um, oh, Valkyrie. That was like a serious movie. Oh, my God. Do you remember Tropic Thunder where he was that movie producer? Fascinating role for him. Um, <laughs> hmm. Collateral? I guess that was kind of like a drama. Let me see. I guess I guess Vanilla Sky was the last movie where he like did something really like kind of strange, you know. As far as like not being action or I, I wouldn't even count Tropic Thunder. There was kind of like a you know, a cameo. So hmm. Ice White Shot was so good. So, yeah. Um, the new Mission Impossible was great. I watched all of the past Mission Impossible movies the week before to prepare. And I'm glad I did. I mean, you don't need to know what's going on, I guess. But it helps to know a little about the history of Ethan Hunt, you know, and his crew. So, um, there's a scene in it that's like so unbelievable. I can't even believe that they got it on film, that a filmmaker actually like made scenes like that. And I'll just say that they take place on a train. That's all I'll say. Um, so go see that. Also, I saw the new Indiana Jones and that wasn't bad. Like it was a lot of like nostalgia and callbacks to the other movies and, People definitely were enjoying themselves and everyone clapped at the end in the theater. So that's what happens in L.A., though. Like everybody like claps at the end of the movie here. You know, this is a this is a you know a working town. This is an entertainment town. It's a union town. Actually, today I bring that up because uh, SAG decided to they voted to strike. So the strike for them is going to start at midnight tonight. So, yeah, the next uh, few weeks or few months are going to be really interesting. So, yep, that's all. Um, I'm going to be doing stand-up in London for some reason. I don't know what I'm doing in life. It's fine. <laughs> like, I know I open this, like, being so dramatic and being like, my life is over. But I, like, have actual, like, things coming up that I'm going to do now that I'm feeling better and projects that I'm working on. And I think I'm going to like, I've talked about this before and I wanted to publish, um, 
my old poems and sell them as a book. I ran a Twitter poll and I was like, would you guys buy my poetry book? And like immediately the majority of the votes were no. And I was like, who are these people? Who are, why are my haters voting on my poll? But it's okay. I, I like my haters. Uh, they keep me motivated. All of my nemeses matter to me. You know, they do. Without them, I would be even in a worse spot, you know, because you need to have a nemesis to motivate you. So that's all. Um, I'm on threads, of course. Um, I don't know. Is my handle the same as on Instagram or? Yeah, I guess it is. Or do they even have handles on threads? It's linked to my Instagram. You know how you have that like the little number thing that's Oh yeah, no. My handle is the same as my Twitter and Instagram. I wish I could change it. I guess I would have to change it on Instagram. I'm sorry. This is like so boring and it's just like admin thoughts. But um yeah, maybe I'll do that. So follow me on Threads at Fixter Heather and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at Unruly Maruli. I'm starting to put up more stand-up clips because I don't know what else to do. That's what's popular, right? Stand-up clips and eventually clips from the pod when I start to feel better and more energized. So that's what I'm up to. And uh, take care of yourselves. Don't go on a submersible. Don't go on a hike. Don't climb Mount Everest. And consider taking the stairs instead of the escalator. Good night.